Welcome to the Purple Rock Survivor Podcast, one of your five favorite Survivor podcasts that you listen to each week. I'm John, my co-host is Andy, and we're talking Korong, episode 8, where the arrogant, condescending bastard finally got what was coming to him. Andy, as a fellow arrogant bastard, how did you take this one? I gotta say, sometimes I'm a little uneasy at how much our audience enjoys when uh, arrogant men get their comeuppance. Because it's like, why, why, why do you like to listen to the show? I, I don't understand. <laughs> Maybe they're just hoping that's going to happen to us. I don't really know what form that would take, though. Well, obviously, they enjoy it when I make bold pronouncements about things that will happen that uh, don't. Or when I say things won't happen, and they do. So I, I think those come up and said they enjoy quite a bit. Yeah, and I have a feeling one of those might happen this season. It really might. But I think I've structured my argument in such a way that nobody's going to be happy about it. Yes! Yeah. Yeah, you did try to leave yourself an out so that you can always claim that you didn't technically say what everyone's going to hold against you. <laughs> uh, but this one, yeah, I'm, I'm with them. This one was, this is a good one. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I actually enjoyed it quite as much because I've said all along, I feel like Nick's arrogance is just an act he puts on. And I'm sure he's, like, actually arrogant, but he it feels like he just turns it up to 11 for the cameras, and that's not what I want. That's, like, performance-enhanced arrogance. I want just natural arrogance getting voted out and getting the comeuppance. Like, the Drew Christie thing just hits hard because that guy's not self-aware enough to realize what he's doing. It He gets blindsided because he's so full of himself he doesn't see it coming. Nick didn't see this coming but also the arrogance was a little put on. Yeah, like, I think, to, to clarify, because I, I agree with you, but, like, yeah, like this is once, like, arrogant, too. And, you know, he would say it, but absolutely, he's playing it up. Like, he knows that this is what the show wants, and he wants to give it to them, uh, and he enjoys it. But, yeah, it, there's, a, there's a self-awareness to it, and actually, I felt like that kind of made this one unique. Uh, you're right. I mean, it can't touch the Drew Christie. I'm not sure anything could. Uh, I, you know, in the Pantheon, it's below, you know, the Four Horsemen or, you know, the Whiteys getting it in Cook Islands. Um, <laughs> I feel like this is even below Peter getting it earlier this season. Maybe. But, like, he did it to himself. Like, he was crafting his own comeuppance edit as he goes. And he stopped a few times, like, ah, oh, that's pretty arrogant, but meh! And, like, like <laughs> it, there was an interesting, almost like, like, like meta commentary of com- comeuppance happening that was kind of interesting. Uh, they clearly didn't hide it. Uh, almost, I mean, you, they're never hiding it if they show the guy saying, guy or girl, saying, I can't wait to get to tribal council. You know, that person's doomed, always. Uh, yeah. But, you know, it was good. Like, this is the destiny that Nick always had to have. Um, so, it, obviously, it's not upsetting. I was enjoying him a bit more than people who are still in the game, but that's always going to happen. Yeah. And I did enjoy how he kind of acknowledged exactly what was happening, but then just said, eh, shrug, I'm going to keep it going. This is fun. Yeah, like, it was, it's, it's kind of funny. Not, again, never as funny as True Christy. Uh, but yeah, he's like, eh, I probably shouldn't do that, but oh well, what, what are they gonna do? <laughs> it's like, well, they could out, dude. That's what's you have do. seen this show, right? You know exactly what they can do. <laughs> so it's kind of funny, and I think uh, what, because it happened that way, and because you know he kept keeping so many opportunities, um, it was treated as a pretty joyous occasion when it happened, and I think it was satisfying that it came together. 
Uh, I'm not sure it was good that it came together, and that's something I, I want to talk about in a few places, but uh, let's start with the person who engineered this move, which I guess is actually a bit of a controversial subject. <laughs> I knew you were going to go with that. But no, like, Sydney did this. As as presented, this was entirely 100% Sydney's move, and the other people, well, I guess 100% is the wrong thing. Obviously, other people have to do it with her. <laughs> she needed more than one vote. Yes. Uh, the only way it's 100% somebody's move is, you know, idle play. Uh, right. But, like, she brought the factions together. It was her idea to make this happen, and she did it. Um, how impressed were you by Sydney? Well, Sort of hitting back on Nick here, it was kind of funny that Nick once again was kind of undone by the same thing that he got into trouble for a week or two ago when he was talking to Michelle and said something that was factually correct, but said it so poorly, like the execution was so bad that it came off terribly. This time, same thing. He's in the challenge and he's like, well, you know... It, it It is us against the brains. We're going to take out one of the two brains. At the time, very factual. The problem is, you don't say that, even if Probst is asking you about it. So, yes, he certainly helped engineer his own undoing, and Sydney just pounced on that. Whether she intended to get him all along and it just kind of moved up the target date, I don't know. But she was the mastermind behind this one, and it was awesome to watch. Yeah, actually, uh, I do want to talk about Sydney uh, quite a bit, but uh, just kind of what you were saying, you should go back. Like, I think why it was satisfying for everybody watching um, is that Survivor did really good job these past few weeks crafting this full narrative. And as you say, it goes back to the discussion she he had with Michelle a few weeks ago, where he everything he was saying to her was correct. But he came off so poorly that I think that was the seeds of what happened this, you know, that we see what happens tonight or last night or a year ago um, <laughs> that put Michelle off to the point where she was willing to vote him out this early. And maybe that almost recontextualizes some things that, you know, everybody's saying that the you know, past few weeks has all been about showing uh, the great Michelle and, you know, her amazing edit. But maybe it really was just about Nick this whole time. It could have been. Um, I do like that Michelle is just a background player in everybody else's story. But, you know, winner. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Uh, but yeah, getting back to Sydney, I, I was really impressed by everything she did. And I think it started, you know, at least from the episode, the great story they told, it started when she gets back from that fishing expedition with, you know, two other girls and Ty. Um, I don't know why they were kept talking about women's alliance when Ty was right there in the boat with them. Uh, and that set her off. And from an entertainment standpoint, I think it also showed that she is a really dynamic character. But I think what really impressed me is the way she was able to execute this move. She decided she wanted to do it and the social bonds that she had created and the way she's able to communicate with people in direct opposition with the way Nick is able to communicate with people was she was quickly able to get people to agree. Now, obviously getting Debbie and Aubrey to agree right. isn't that big a deal. They're like, cool, you're not going to vote out us. Yeah, 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 we'll take that. Um, but the way she was able to get Michelle and Julia to do the same, she brought two people from over here, two people from over there together to potentially stick their neck outs to take out Nick. And I think that speaks really highly of her uh, social abilities as yeah, a and game that's player. Basically exactly what I was going to say. Don't check me, boo. Um, 
she was always going to be able to get the brains to go with her. That that wasn't going to be a consideration. But she needed at least one more vote. And the fact that she was able to get Julia and Michelle to do it when it might not be in their best interest, considering we just saw last week them talking about how, oh, it would be great if we could bring these brawn to the end because they're certainly more objectionable. We'd like to sit next to them in a final. That takes a little more gamesmanship than uh going and getting guys who are just at the bottom of the totem pole and know they might be going home. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, Nick also tried to uh get Aubrey on his side. So, you know, that she was able to do it and he wasn't, I think, is a feather in her cap. Um, although, you know, beating Nick at, you know, convincing people to like you might not be the most difficult skill. Um, but yeah, no, I think the fact that she able to got Michelle and Julia, who previous to that, we had no evidence that there was any relationship there. Like Julia, she just met what, like five days mm-hmm. previous or whatever. Michelle, we never really saw any interaction between Michelle and Sydney in the old um, yellow tribe. No, they were blue. Uh, Michelle didn't remember that, but they were the blue tribe. Uh, now, obviously, we didn't see that because we don't really see much of Michelle ever because, you know, you don't want to overindulge on the winner of the season. Um, so, yeah, no, I think full credit, and I was really impressed with the way Sydney was doing it. The big question, though, after is, like, should she have done that? I think I said last week on the podcast that I was, you know, surprised considering the bits that we were getting in her confessionals that we weren't getting more of her because, and I read that as, oh, she must not go very far. Her story must come to an end and they're not going to invest too much in her. Now I'm like, well, wait, why weren't we getting more of her? She's really dynamic and fun to watch in the confessionals. I even liked her um delivery to the two girls when she's in the water where you can see on her face she's trying to read the room and she's just staring at them both trying to figure out, okay, how receptive are they going to be to this? And then she just kind of like throws it out there, casts a line like, oh, let's see if we get a bite on this. If they don't, I'm just going to back right off. And they bit and she's like, okay, yeah, let's do this then. Yeah, no, I think it was a really great play and to the point where like... I. I think she's the most impressive person out there. And I know there's a worry that like, oh, her edit's been too light, but I kind of feel like when Sydney is mattered, she's mattered. And when it wasn't about Sydney, they didn't bother. And I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing. Like, especially like if the second half of the season is going to be her, then nobody will be talking about the time where we didn't really see Sydney when her tribe didn't go to tribal council, you know? Uh, like Natalie Anderson wasn't around when Natalie Anderson didn't matter. So, you know, I'm not worried about that. But I just, like, strategically, I, I'm just not sure that after all this, while it was very satisfying, uh, is she in a better place now than she was prior to voting Nick out? Possibly. I don't think that she ever intended initially to have a women's alliance. I think something must have happened to make her feel less secure in her alliance or to make her feel that she would have been on the bottom at some point, not too far off in the future. And she didn't want to get rid of too many of the other people that are on the bottom that she could potentially use to help her. Yeah. And I've thought about that. And I do believe that there must've been some feeling that Nick was usurping her spot with the other two guys. Cause there was a lot of broing going down. And I also agree that for her getting rid of Nick is a good thing. It's just, I don't, and I'm, I'm, you know, as a big proponent of the Tony Flacco's doctrine, I'm not going to be the person that's like, oh, too early, too early always, but 
maybe it was too early in the sense that like nobody from the other side is gone yet. You know, like, I mean, obviously Neil was right, but she had, a, you know, three people were dead to rights and those three people are still around. And I kind of feel like what she did was burn bridges with the people that have been routinely recognized by people out there as not a good bet to win in Scott and Jason. And instead is kind of thrown in with people that could beat her. Well, here's the argument I'd make against that. If she is the one that flipped on them and led the charge against them, you know, she's now the one who in the eyes of most jurors would be like, wow, you know, she could have clearly taken the easy path and rode along with those guys, but she chose to make the moves, take the lead for herself and keep better people around in the game. I think, think that would probably get rewarded at the end yeah no i think that's a good uh argument and i do think that you know you are more often rewarded for making moves and you do need to not be seen as the coattail rider but i almost feel like scott and jason like those are fine coattails to ride like <laughs> i don't know if anybody be like yeah but i still want to vote jason because like nobody speaks highly of him um i'm i don't think that he's the worst person out there uh, we have some things to talk about, about that, but like, I worry that like, it's just, I, like, isn't now, like, if she goes forward with these, these five women, isn't she the biggest target amongst those five people? <laughs> Especially if you throw Joe in there, who will basically kind of be the Tarzan or the down limbo, just the kind of the vestigial organ you keep around, cause why not? Yeah, well, and she'd have to make sure, that's the thing, is going forward, I can see her keeping herself in basically a swing spot everywhere from six on in, because at a certain point, if it's three brains against two beauties and her, to, she can, you know, keep with those beauty girls. If she wants to push it to three, three, if it goes to five and it's, you know, the Joe goes home and then it's just all five women left. She's the swing vote as not being part of either of those two other earlier tribes. You know, like there's going to be places for her to slide in. Yeah, and we'll see. And honestly, I hope so. I like her, and, like, I was really impressed with her ability to do this. I will say, like, as presented in the story, it kind of just felt like, man, I really can't stand that Nick guy, and I'll, I'll show you what I can do. Well, and, as, you know, as she I... could do it, but it's just like, ah, you know, maybe um Aubrey not being in the game would be better for you than this. Well, as the total front runner of the podcast, are you now all aboard the Sydney train? Well, I think I've been speaking highly of her when she was around for the past little bit, but uh, I will say I'm kind of just clutching at straws. Like, somebody impressed me, damn it. That's what I need. And, you know, I, I you know, Ty has his moments, but tonight wasn't necessarily one of them. Oh, man. Uh, he had some yeah, moments. He, he won a challenge. There's that. Yeah. Uh, we probably won't spend much time talking about it. Uh, but, yeah, no, I mean, right now it's kind of like, hey, there's a spark there with Sydney. And I'm just interested in where this puts her, because it isn't just that it's high risk, like, say, Tony voting out LJ. It's just, like, she has completely jumped from one side to another at the earliest moment. And I think, you know, some people have the idea that, well, she can bounce back. She didn't vote against Scott and Jason, and maybe she was thinking that. i got to say, the previews kind of suggested that's not going to be the case. Right. But I think we touched on it earlier, that, you know, if she thought Nick usurped her position then she might have needed to burn that bridge anyway. So get before you get got. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Did you get the impression that Nick was looking to burn that bridge anytime soon, though? Um, No, but again, if if she's no longer that 
at least number three in that three person alliance, then, you know, she's now out of final tribal council. Yeah, no, I mean, and look, I, I'm rarely will I say that, you know, you've done it too soon, but I will say like, you know, one thing that Natalie really did well is she waited for the right moment just to have her revenge. So, uh, I'm not, yeah, I'm just basically like, uh, this, a really exciting the way she was able to do it. It's just uh, still not 100% sure that it was worth doing. Um, but that's for her. And I do think that like getting rid of Nick was a valuable goal for Sydney. But what about the other people who made the decision? Was getting rid of Nick the right move for Michelle and Julia? <gasps> you mean Girl Tyler? I'm going to call Michelle Girl Tyler from now on. It's this brilliant nickname that I came up for her. Um, that I he literally didn't remember that I said it to him two weeks ago on this very podcast. So if everybody else who was listening, can you remember that I made up the Tyler principle where the audience just projects their hopes and, uh, and desires on the most empty cipher out there? But I, I definitely came up with the nickname Girl Tyler, and that's what I'm going to – you can call her Obvious Winners Edit Michelle if you want to. I'm going to call her Girl Tyler. Although I kind of don't want to because that acknowledges that there was a Tyler that – theoretically played this game at some point um anyway yeah future survivor winner michelle um again it's it's a tough read because we don't really know how close she was to nick anyway we saw how condescending he was to her a week or two ago anyway so were they sticking together just because they were on a tribe together originally or did they actually have some sort of bond uh i think she clearly has a stronger bond with julia than with nick so you know, if that's going to get her farther and she thinks she can work with the women better, go ahead. Yeah, just like, just last week, she was saying, now in a conversation with Nick, obviously, that it would be great to go to the end against Jason or Scott. And now this week, she's like, nah, nah, screw that. I'm going to team up with these people over here. And like she, in her own uh, bonus scenes, was saying that Sydney and Ty were her, you know, biggest threats. And now she's like, yes, Sydney, that's a great idea. I will execute your strategy. And like, you know, obviously you can change your mind and all that, but, and because it was a conversation with Nick, maybe it was all a lie, but I do know that there was a lot of people on the internet praising her for her strategic chops in that situation of, you know, she's totally aware of what's going on and she can recognize her place in the game. She knows what her final end goal is. And now she just threw all that out. Like basically because Sydney suggested it. And like, for what? Like, Nick was somebody who was on her side, whether she wanted him on her side or not. Like, he thought he was on her side. He thought that she was somebody he was going to work with. And now he's gone in favor of somebody who wasn't on her side, and Debbie, and Aubrey. Or, if you're going to flip, if you're going to have this women's alliance, and you are the obvious winner of the season, shouldn't you have voted out somebody else's potential ally, not your own? Probably yes. But, I mean, it clearly must all work out in the end because Michelle is the obvious winner of this season. Yeah, I mean, it almost feels silly to criticize somebody who is so clearly uh, head and shoulders over everybody. But, like, so from Nick's exit interviews, and obviously all exit interviews are grain of salt, but this one is at least supported a bit in the evidence of the episode, um, where at some point after the women came together and decided they were going to vote Nick, the conversation shifted that they should vote out Jason. Um, and I think it might have been, you know, Michelle and Julia pushing for this because they should. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, 
Jason is somebody who they don't have a relationship with, somebody who is not one of their alliance members. And, I mean, I don't know how many people know this for sure, but I think there's a suspicion out there that he has an idol. Getting rid of Jason would have been huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead, uh, they didn't do it for the most hilarious of reasons. And tell us what those were. Uh Debbie said to them, uh, Joe already thinks that it's Nick, and if we tell him, he won't be able to remember. This is fantastic. <laughs> so this whole thing was dictated because they, they they were worried that old Joe wouldn't remember, even though it didn't matter. They didn't need Joe's vote. And, you know, what it ended up happening is Ty voted for Jason. This is why Jason voted, Ty voted for Jason. Because there were conversations where it was said, oh, let's vote for Jason. And wouldn't it have been better, so much better for obvious winner Michelle if it was Jason? Instead, Sydney keeps an ally in Jason. Uh, Debbie and Aubrey keep their allies together. Well, the people I, that lost somebody that might have been potentially loyal to them, what's Michelle? Yeah, that's if you assume that Sydney is still going to be Jason's ally going forward, and I think we can assume there will be some damage from this. Right, but he's more likely to be, in that exact moment, while you're still discussing what's happening, more likely to be Sydney's ally than he's ever likely to be Michelle's. True. So, like, she tossed aside Nick... To achieve what? To achieve uh, a, a, a more challenging path to the finals? To ch- uh, to play the game with people who are she herself admits are probably better at this than her? <laughs> well, I mean, it's also possible that she sees it being easier to make it to the end with those five women. And if, you know, if it is that group of five getting to the end, she's said... Sydney and Ty are her biggest threats. Well, Sydney's the only one left in there. So if she can convince those other four women, look, Sydney's the biggest threat, that's that's fine. They'll have shots to get her out. Right, but wouldn't they have had that shot at, like, Final 7 if they just kind of stuck with what they were doing? Listen, don't try to apply foresight to the obvious winner's plan here. This is clearly going to work out. Yeah, and, like, did we see, like, did... Michelle actually ever talked to Aubrey and Debbie? Debbie? Probably at some point, right? There was probably a thing, but like, her big move that I think, you know, she'll be able to bring up, uh, in her victory speech of, remember that time at, um, the first vote after the merge when I, uh, got everybody together? Yeah, her first vote of the game, by the way. Exactly. Uh, where I voted out the person who was with me. Uh, I worry that, like, Aubrey and Debbie might be like, Hmm, I don't remember that being that's how it happened. I remember Sydney talking to us. And, you know, whether she talked to Aubrey or Sydney at some point to confirm, okay, I'll concede that that could have happened. But the edit clearly shows that Sydney talked to them first because when Sydney talks to Julia and Michelle, they're like, oh, what about them? It's like, I already No, I got them. them. Yeah, they're in my pocket. They're good. <laughs> yeah, so the chronology here checks out that this was Sydney's move bringing it all together. And so Michelle basically was like, okay, Sydney, I met you five days ago. That seems cool. I'm going to totally disrupt what had been my plan for the past few days to team up with a bunch of people I don't really know that well. That's my path to victory because I am the greatest survivor in the history of Listen, the show. she... She has an itchy trigger finger. She hasn't been to tribal council yet. She wants to make the move. And here's another question. Has history been all that kind to people whose very first post-tribal, tribal, uh, uh, post-merge tribal council was to vote out somebody in their own alliance? Like, is that like a, a, could, you know, the, the path to success? Well, that's the thing is Michelle's blazing her own path. She doesn't need you to carry her, bro. That is true. Uh, this is uh, the most unique winner ever. But like, usually, what happens is either you get like a you know a flippers never win type scenario. I'm not <laughs> suggesting that here. More, what happens is that um, the tribe that didn't 
vote out their own people, they get to kind of, uh, watch as you pick yourself all off. Like, this is like Borneo type stuff where, like, the talking members are like, we're united and we're gonna target that other side. And Michelle's still, like, worrying about, like, old business where she didn't, like, nick on their original tribe. Like, <laughs> they had another tribe dead to rise and she's just like, nah, that's cool. Well, we should, uh, talk about someone else that you totally enjoy ranting about. Um, and it's not even about Aubrey herself. It's really. I, I actually like Aubrey. So I do I. She... You just, um, much more so than I, get very upset at Aubrey's fans for assigning her far too much credit for absolutely everything that happens. Yeah, like here's the question that I have to pose to you and to everybody. How bad of a week does Aubrey have to have before her backers will stop trying to hype that she did amazing? So like this week, they did a, a shot a very big spotlight. Uh, an unusually big spotlight on her failure to assemble a good team at the reward challenge. Now, I thought that was kind of telling because they mentioned it like three times when usually they don't even mention how those teams get made in the first place. Yep, exactly. Yeah, they specifically singled it out as this was a pick and here was Aubrey's strategy. She picked a nice, even balance of people. And then we just see her fail, 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 fail over and over at that challenge. Yeah, and like I'm not putting the... F- Failure on her falling all the time. I think the failure is that, you know, they couldn't hold it. She chose a bunch of weak people to hold somebody up in the water uh, and let the other side have the two tallest, strongest guys. Like, very brilliant strategy. And, then, like, again, it's less about failing in a reward challenge for ice cream. Uh, it's, it's more about the show just, like, really, really wanted us to know that. Because, like, la- last season, clearly... All, if most, if not all, of the uh, reward challenges in the post-merge phase, where they're all, you know, the team ones, were pickums because Joe and Jeremy were never on the same team. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen randomly. Is that right. this is why Jeremy never went on rewards? It's that Joe was the first pick and Jeremy was the second pick in every draft. But we never saw the draft. We never heard about the draft because it didn't matter. This one, they really wanted us to know that Aubrey failed at this, but nobody really cares about that on Twitter. And then they're like, hey, Aubrey, what an amazing move. And again, yeah, she allowed somebody not to vote for her. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic. Um, More importantly, and I have no problem with Aubrey, the one problem that I did have in this episode, specific to this episode, in general, I love Aubrey, but she dared to call herself Cochran's dream girl in that episode of television I'm far too loyal to my friends to allow this injustice to stand, to just allow someone to waltz in and steal my friend's dream man. But fortunately, Emma's not really my friend, so go ahead, Aubrey, have Adam. It's fine. And full credit to Aubrey is she she actually checked in with Emma on Twitter. So uh <laughs> we're did. good here, right? It's very kind of her. Yeah, it was, you know, and I think that's why people are so pro Aubrey on Twitter. She's great. She's a really great in that forum. But, you know, what she hasn't been really great at is Survivor in the past few weeks. And, like, you know, that doesn't mean she's not going to win. She could win. I'm not denying it. Uh, I think she has the chops to do it. But, like, can we just be honest when people aren't good so that we can celebrate when they are? Yeah, and that's the thing is I I think I mentioned last week the everybody that we've seen this season is shown with flaws. So your winner is going to have some flaws. I certainly would not rule out Aubrey winning this season. I think she actually, of the people that are left, I'd put her probably top three. Um, 
just because I think she can relate to everybody else very well. So if she can get to the end, I think she'd sell herself and she could win. <laughs> well, gotta, gotta phrase yeah. that better. <laughs> <laughs> um, she would, uh, acquit herself well. How about that? But yeah, it's, I think there's just a tendency because we all love Aubrey so much to suggest that everything she does is great. Well, no, I mean, she makes some mistakes, but that's fine. Even great players make some mistakes and you need luck to win in this game. She might need luck and you could call this particular situation falling into her lap total luck because Sydney proposed it. It's not like Aubrey was, you know, hammering her and saying, come on, Sydney, come on, Sydney. Sydney just dropped it in her lap. Yeah, like, we didn't even see any scenes of, like, Aubrey trying to stoke the flames of, like, you know, Sydney being upset. We saw Sydney get upset about something, put it out there, and then just keep doing it. Like, it was all presented as Sydney. It was never like, oh, I put the bug in her ear. Of like, oh, did you catch a load of what Nick did? And, like, even if, you know, you want to create some fan fiction, it's like, oh, I bet Aubrey did that. It's like, well, it wasn't in the episode. It wasn't at all. So, can we be honest here? Like, yeah, we want to talk about luck. Yeah, she's had incredible luck. She was going to get voted out last time, and she didn't. And not only does that save her for those three days, the fact that that tr- a tribe wasn't able to kind of seal the deal, that alliance of seven, is what gave them the time to be like, eh, let's do something different. Mm-hmm. And I think if they would have, you know, even if somehow she didn't get voted out last week, maybe, well, she, I mean, she was going to. But uh, say they were going to vote out Neil and he didn't play his idol. I think she would have gone home this week because now they would have been like, okay, we have a plan. Everybody voted together. We feel good. But there was still that paranoia because the the bond between those two, especially those two groups, the beauty and the brawn, was never consummated. That was the luck that she got. Well, and, yeah, I think a lot of people are saying that, like, this is like, you know, they're showing these low moments so that when she wins, it'll be, you know, a good arc. Absolutely, that could be it. But sometimes they just show low pe- moments of people that, you know, stay low. Yeah, and to be fair, in the episode, the official plan that we got was that it was going to be Debbie over her going home. Mm-hmm. Now, could that have been Nick just selling it to her that way? Maybe, but I doubt it. I think that was probably in there for a reason. Yeah, no, it sounded like it was Debbie was the number one target. And Nick actually said he wanted it to be Debbie, which is why he approached Aubrey, mm-hmm. uh, because he felt like Debbie's fawning over him was blowing up his spot. <laughs> and that he enjoyed working with Aubrey, which I think is a feather in her cap. Like, again, I think she can be good at this. I don't think she has been the past few weeks. And I enjoy being honest about these things. Especially because, like, by giving her credit, you're robbing it from Sydney. Why do you want to take it away from Sydney? Yeah. But now, seeing the results of this tribal council, how would you say Aubrey's sitting in this game? Really good! Which exactly. is another kind of point about what I've been saying about Michelle and Sydney. It's like, why did you do this to help Aubrey? Because I'm not sure it helps you. Because Sydney's all aboard the Aubrey train. Yeah, and, um, so, yeah, they wanted to form a women's alliance, and, you know, Debbie and, uh, Aubrey were like, yeah, that's cool. Can Joe be a part of it? Like, <laughs> yeah, why not? Hey, we'll give you another vote if you want it. Which is kind of the point that I've been saying with the other people. It's like, you, they didn't, there was no skin in the game. They didn't lose anything. Like, if you're really some kind of master manipulator, how about you just say, hi, hey, how about we get rid of Joe? You know, like, <laughs> You created this uh, alliance and brought Debbie and Sydney in, or Aubrey and uh, Debbie in, at no cost to Aubrey and Debbie. Like they, it cost them nothing. They like their own potential alliance mates weren't even like targets. 
So, you know, great for Aubrey. And um, I guess that's kind of, I wanted to talk a bit about Women's Alliance because I feel like the only reason why these five people got together was to form a Women's Alliance. And like, is that a good idea for them? If they stuck together, which I don't know that that will happen, if you get to the end with five women, a woman is going to win the game. You just got to trust the process. Yeah, I mean, there's literally no way to fail as long as you trust the process. As long as the process is followed, uh, eventually results will happen. Uh, but I just, like, and, and, like, I understand the motivation for women's alliances at times because... It is more difficult in Survivor for a woman to be in a man in the final tribal council. It's the the math bears that out, and it sucks. I also get why fans get excited for women's alliances. Well, like the fans that we uh, the travel circles that we travel in, because if all the women are competing together, that means the women's going to win. Yep. Um, but I think you had to look at the circumstances because. Yeah, like, I think it would have made sense in Cambodia if the women could have gotten together, because that means you're taking out, like, Spencer and Jeremy, and, like, Joe, and Fishback. In this sense, you're taking out Nick, and (laughs) Jason, and Scott, like, three people who, I don't know if a jury's gonna vote for these guys. Uh, Joe, you know, like, who cares? Like, really, it's like a women's alliance to take out Ty? Like, like... They're the biggest competitors in this game are in that five women's alliance. So all of them kind of like, hey, let's make this harder on ourselves because up with women. And like, well, women's alliance is great if you're Amanda or Parvati, but maybe it's a little less great if you're Natalie and Alexis. <laughs> because like they might have been better off teaming up with the other fans to take out, you know, favorites in that season. And I think that's kind of what is going to happen here to two of these women. Like, two of these women are going to become the Natalie and Alexis of this, if it were somehow able to fall all the way through. And, like, maybe that's Michelle and maybe that's Sydney. Like, that's kind of my point. He's like, this isn't necessarily great. What you should probably instead be forming alliances on are uh, who are the people that are going to help me win. I can still see a way where this works out for Sydney, as I was saying earlier. The nice thing about it, or the terrifying thing about it on the same token, is that it just shifts everything. The dynamics changed so suddenly because we never really got, like you said, that vote last week that cemented where the alliance lines were. So this is the vote that did that, and now the the lines seem way skewed from every, what everybody thought they were three to five days ago. Yeah, and it also just kind of felt quick. You know, like, uh, I don't know which within this uh, three-day cycle that the idea to come together. I feel like it was prior to the immunity challenge, but obviously we can't know. But it's just like, I don't know if this was like a lot of long-term planning of like, yes, this is where I feel good and this is where I feel comfortable. So much as like, I think, like, the failure a lot was on Nick, right? Like, I think it was just a lot like... <laughs> Yeah, I would like to vote out Nick. That would make me feel better. Not having to play with him would be good. And like, I respect those reasons, but it's just, I still don't know if like aligning in this particular way was the best way to do it. Uh, because yeah, like I think each of them are probably each, their biggest competition in a jury situation. Uh, and like, yeah, I think like if Sydney were to progress down this path, she loses all her meat shields as she goes. So that's kind of the thing about women's alliances. Like they're great if you're like the 
best women in it if you're teaming up with other women that you can beat. But if you're opposing a bunch of guys that kind of don't really feel like they're winners, like I think that's the one consensus opinion amongst fans that I kind of can get behind is those dudes don't feel like winners to me. Mm-hmm. Then what did this women's alliance accomplish other than, you know, good feelings? Like, well, I'll, I'll say this. You can't win unless you get to the end. So if Sydney in particular didn't feel like she could get to the end, maybe with this group she can. Yeah, and I'll buy that. Like, again, I was impressed by her. I just worry that it's, you know, an excellent move that didn't need to be made. Uh, I'm a little less impressed on this for Michelle's reason. Uh, I mean, obviously at this point I've become a little biased in that area. But, like, <laughs> I, literally, I just I don't see where this pays off for her. Um, other than, of course, she's obviously gonna win. Just trust the process, Andy. <laughs> Just, there you go. Uh, so, but yeah, like, one guy is a threat to them. And, um, let's talk about that guy. Oh, man. Uh, but, you know, I had said when Peter was around that I just wanted him to be around for every tribal council. I wanted him to stick around after the merge and just be in every tribal council because he was just a one-man walking disaster at Tribal Council. And I feel like Ty just took up the mantle this week. He was like, no, I'm not going to let the memory of Peter go away. I am going to take that throne. I do think like that seems to be a recurring theme amongst these men, is that uh they are all way too honest about their intentions of things. <laughs> uh So obviously we're talking about when Ty just completely spilled the beans about the... uh uh, super, super idol. Super, super idol. Um, I'll say in Ty's defense, I kind of just think that, you know, maybe being pseudo crucified in the hot sun for over an hour might have addled him a bit. Yep. It's just, I think that's all it is. And I think that's something you can recover from. I, I don't think it necessarily means that like, oh, he's a disaster of a player. I think it was a disaster of a moment. Uh-huh. And I'll, you know, amongst this cast, I don't know if it ranks is even the top disaster of <laughs> right. them. And I do feel like as transparent and as bad as his attempt to cover it up, felt to us maybe he's built enough goodwill and people are just so snowed over by him like oh well it must be ty must be confused because clearly he's not being devious because he's ty there's a potential for that but oh man listening to him try to walk back that explanation about the super idol and just mumbling his way through it and kind of like looking around and shrugging his shoulders that was just as cringeworthy as any good episode of the office ever was Oh yeah, no, absolutely. And like, I don't want to defend it too much. I just think like he might be able to get away with it just because of who he is. Like, because of people underestimating him. Uh, not because he actually did a good job trying to get away with it. Uh, they might just be like, uh, I mean, obviously the people who know that he has an idol, they were like slapping, slapping their heads, but, uh, those people don't have a lot of power and he voted one of them out. The rest of them could have been just like, maybe somebody did tell Ty about that and he thought everybody knew. <laughs> like they might not like what I'm saying is they might not leap to the conclusion that this must mean that Ty has an idol. That's true. It's it's possible. I'm not giving him credit for his ability to cover up. I'm more uh just giving other people less credit for their ability to see Ty for what he is. Uh yeah, cuz I think there's a default just assumption like, "Oh, Ty, what a great guy. Well, how adorable is he? He would never do something so bad." Yeah. Well, let's at least give him credit for the one thing he did really well, which was win that immunity challenge and Gave a, we got a whole lot of like humanizing moments this week. We got Ty in that immunity challenge talking about how this isn't so hard. I lived in a refugee camp. You know, we had it far, far worse than this. I can suffer in the sun on a 
makeshift cross for 45 minutes. Yeah, and actually quickly there, it's like, hey, I, I spent a lot of time garbling a bunch of uh, information about why Ty could be a winner. And one of those was um, maybe he can win the challenges that he needs to win. Yep. This is a bit of a feather in a cap. Like maybe you guys start thinking a little differently. Again, it's not a sure bet the way, of course, Michelle is the winner of the season. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's just the end of the conversation right there. But uh, he could win when he needs to win. He has an idol. Somebody's going to get medevaced. There might be another idol. So just hold hope in your hearts, folks, that our beautiful, terrible liar tie will get to the finals and sweep it. Yeah, and I think I um, made this comment on our site, which is that Ty is a beautiful human being, which might be the reason that he's not a great Survivor player. But, like, a lot of, there's a lot of ways to win Survivor. You don't necessarily need to be the craftiest person in the world. But, yeah, as you were kind of get to, that wasn't the only humanizing moment of the episode. Right. Yeah, we also got Jason and Scott. Uh, Jason talking about his daughter extended scene talking about his daughter with the, you know, sad background music and all that stuff. So it seemed to kind of come out of left field. And then we also got Scott when they're sitting there uh, eating their ice cream, telling about his sob story of going to the NBA rather than uh, raising a family. Yeah, no, it's tough. You, I think most people in the NBA have to choose between playing basketball and uh, God and family. I think Which that's- is crazy because Latrell Sprewell, he had kids to feed. I mean, how did that happen? Didn't he have to choose between kids and NBA? No? Uh, I know that Sean Kemp really made his decision. He really had kids to feed. <laughs> I don't think he was that interested in feeding them. It's he true. was very interested in the end at feeding himself. Uh, <laughs> but I, what was that about? Like, I mean, obviously, yeah, someone could just be like, these are things that happened, and these are human beings, and these things are true. But it was a little weird, and it's just kind of part of the ongoing saga of Jason's, uh, you know, complex person edit. Uh, I'm going to <laughs> CPP4 or whatever. Um, <laughs> we went all in on Edic this week on our website. If you didn't get to read it, please do. PurpleRockPodcast.com. Matt wrote up a very interesting take on Edic that got a whole lot of discussion. And we'll say that I think the basic one before, you know, people feel like we're just picking on them. It's like, if you enjoy it and you're using it to engage with the show on another level, you do you. No problem there. We just doubt necessarily its predictive abilities. Right. Uh, you may have picked up on a little bit of really subtle snark I've been throwing. Just so, just, just, just shade. Just light, light shade. It's there. You may have to go back and listen to it again to figure out when it occurred. Uh, let's go back to Jason and Scott because what's interesting about Jason is that he had that moment, but then we also got Sydney being like, "Hey, what's this guy trying to do? You know, is he trying to win the jury?" And it's like, is that undercutting that moment, or is it just you know showing that Jason might be something more than we think, or is it just that the producers knew what they were doing when they were casting Jason and they wanted to show all of the elements of him, and that's what they've been doing? I'm going to throw out the craziest theory right now. Maybe Survivor is not Star Wars, where you either blow up the Death Star or you kill one of your own family members. Like, there might actually be people that are in the gray area in between, where sometimes they're kind of objectionable, and other times they're kind of relatable. Maybe that's what happened here. I don't know how relatable Scott was, but Jason was certainly 
displayed as much more relatable than he has been in some of his less refined moments. I don't know. I've studied the edit, and uh, they only want to tell one or two different kinds of story in Survivor, which is why it's been on for, like, 32 se- uh, seasons, is that there's still only three ways to play Survivor and three ways to show characters. Uh, we are dicks. Um, but, Mostly you. Yeah. Really me lately. How did that happen? I don't know. You've been on a rampage lately. Yeah, it's true. But no, I, it was a fine moment for Jason. I don't think it's going to change anything because I do believe we've gotten many scenes from many different people being like, ah, that Jason guy. And, you know, if the previews are going to be believed, he's not really going to go all in for the making people like him in the coming <laughs> days and weeks. Um, so yeah, it, look, it's nice. It's true. It's also true. Like, yes. He, he loves it's also his true. Yeah. Like I said, there are gray areas. Like, Jason can be very objectionable, judging by the confessionals that we've gotten from other people. He can also be a nice person that has a daughter that he's truly sacrificing for. I don't think that's a lie in any way. It may also have been exactly what Sydney said. Maybe he was just trying to make himself more appealing for down the road when he's in front of a jury. Or maybe they were just bored and he was telling stories. Yeah, and maybe Jason is a character that they're invested in, and they want to give all the different levels to him, because complex characters are more interesting. You know, that's in the same way that they've shown so many shades of Michelle's personality. They're <laughs> <laughs> laying uh, it on so thick. You know, at some point in, during last week, I'm like, yeah, okay, I've said my piece, I'm done. Apparently not. Nope. No. All right, uh, so I think that's most of the episode. Uh, we've got a few other things that we like to do every week. It's back! Nobody was a medevac this week, so let's try and give scenarios for why somebody else might be. Okay, you should start. Yeah, so the last time we did this, I won with, uh, you know, shrugging a explanation of Aubrey being attacked by uh, Dementors. That's the Harry Potter term. See what you voted for, people. He doesn't even know. I pandered! I'm like, fine, I'll play your Harry Potter game. You pandered um, poorly. You didn't even, you were like, oh, the whatever they're called? No, no, last week I was on point because I wrote it down. This yeah, week I, I almost cheated. said Death Eaters. Um, <laughs> so, um, I think what's going to happen this week, and we saw in the previews that, you know, Jason and Scott are just going to turn into complete dicks about, yeah, they're going to just take their, this loss in stride. Uh, and, you know, Jason, you know, Scott played for the Sacramento Kings for years. He should be used to taking losses in stride. <laughs> familiar with that process. Um, even if, say, they're up almost, like, impossible to lose to the Lakers, yet somehow. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Whole lot of whistles blown. <laughs> no idea why. It's, it's a complete mystery. <laughs> you want to talk about production interference. Anyway. We are alienating so many non-basketball fans, which is, like, 90% of our audience. So I think what will happen next week is they're going to do individual rewards and Jason will win. Mm-hmm. And part of his reward, we've seen this before, he will get a bed that he can sleep on, um, on the beach in front of everybody with, you know, probably some food and all that, maybe some wine even. He gets, of course, you always get to pick somebody to share that experience with him. And he picks his buddy Scott. And they're just sitting there yucking it up. You know, at this point, he, he doesn't need Jason to tell him that, you know, you can enjoy your reward. And Michelle to be like, harumph. Uh, they're just really going to show everybody uh, how much they love uh, this reward. And then, you know, Scott, in the middle of the night, he's just going to get up, do his thing. It's not a thing. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, nobody knows this, but the bed that is the reward 
is actually the deathbed, the bed that eats people. Isn't that from a horror movie or something? It is indeed. And that's how Jason gets taken out of the game. He is attacked by the deathbed, the bed that eats people. I am going to be so pissed if I listen to you this time. I feel like people are just intentionally voting against mine anyway, but whatever. I'm going to counter your scenario with this. Right at the start of next week's episode, we see Julia doubling over. She's violently just vomiting all over the place. And it's because of what we saw in this episode, where Julia had eaten non-organic ice cream at that reward. It turns out she contracted a case of Gottlieb's revenge. Soon after, we see her grabbing her stomach, running off behind a tree. Terrible sound effects take place. Screen goes black. Suddenly a message appears on the screen. Julia has died of dysentery. Then, fade back in, two thumbs up, Aubrey smiles at the camera, winks, fade back out. You worked in like two references there. That's Aubrey right. Aubrey and Neil. Yep, yep. And I even directed the scene for you, painted you a mental picture of how this is going to go. I like how everybody was like, oh, this is so mean that they did this right after Neil left. And my reaction is like, Neil would have been like the most annoying person to be on this award with. He'd be like, this is an ice cream. Huh. All those polysorbates. Like, I think it's probably worked out for the best. That this Neil is frozen there. dairy dessert. And like, why everybody's like, oh, he wants to eat more ice cream? Like, maybe that guy never wants to eat ice cream again. <laughs> It'd be like, oh, it's so bad that they gave him an accounting reward right after John was eliminated. <laughs> yeah, those accounting rewards that frequently come up on Survivor. Everybody wants a spreadsheet when they're starving. Uh, so that actually dovetails into predictions. Sure. Uh, because you predicted that Julia will get dysentery. I just kind of predict that Julia is going to be the one to go home. Um, but voted for. Uh, in the preview, it kind of shows that people were starting to worry about Julia, that, that she's positioning herself as a swing vote, and thus that you know, Unbreakable Women's Alliance were starting to look at her with some side-eye. Obviously, there's two ways of taking previews. The often common one amongst fans is they're a complete lie. That you shouldn't trust them, it's all misdirect. But last preview showed us Sydney thinking about turning on her alliance and creating a women's alliance, and that's exactly what happened. So I'm not going to overthink this. They are showing us that Julia... Because why else would you structure a preview on Julia? Good point. And that's the thing, is with the previews, they'll throw in a few that are just on the nose per season, just to keep you guessing. But I don't think this is one. (laughs) All right. So I'm going to say... Yes, they do get worried about Julia, but instead they go after obvious future winner Michelle. And I'll say that Michelle gets fitted out next week. It's not going to happen, obviously, because Michelle is, of course, the obvious winner of this game. But that's my prediction. Look, you don't structure an entire season around somebody like Michelle for her to go at this juncture in the game. So I, I feel better about my prediction because, like, Honestly, if Michelle was removed at this point, how would they fill the 42 minutes? You know what she probably needs? Someone to carry her, bro. Unfortunately, she took that person out because, <laughs> you know, Sydney suggested maybe they should do it. And she couldn't convince a single person to you know, vote against Jason. Let's say that again. She couldn't convince a single person to vote for Jason. 
I like how we've gone all in on Michelle, who we have absolutely nothing against. This has nothing to do with Michelle herself and everything to do with other Survivor fans. Yeah, and here's the thing, like, I don't even now struggle against, like, the idea that, you know, maybe she's the winner. Because here's the argument that I believe 100%. There's no reason she should be getting any confessionals because she's too boring and unremarkable. If you're, if that's the argument that you're forwarding, then you're speaking my language. Because there's nothing about this person that is interesting. Uh, so if that's what they're doing, I would say, like, I don't know if letting her say, yeah, uh, we had a merch today and it was kind of interesting... Or, you know, oh, this tribal council is going to be really interesting because we have a choice to make. And it's all about this game that you need to make the moves at the right time. Which, of course, begs the question, although that's not how the phrase actually works. Nope. Was this the right time? Because I don't know if it was. (laughs) Anyway. Yeah. So let's talk about our website, which is purplerockpodcast.com. You can go there. Like I said, you can find the Edgic review. And I don't even know what would you call that? A hit piece on Edgic? Uh (laughs) A Wodge-esque hit piece on Edgic. Um, no, it was just looking at the very legitimate problems with Edgic. Doesn't necessarily condemn the whole process. As long as you are aware of these flaws, you can still enjoy it. Yeah, and you know, what what it really actually was was a fairly objective criticism of Edgic. And the central focus of it was, you know, if you enjoy this... That's fine, but let's not pretend it's something that it's not. Uh, also, we do a live blog every week. Mark and Matt worked on that one for us this week. Um, we have occasional posts from Emma, who might be doing something soon. Who knows? We've also been very busy with doing our best tribal council ever bracket. And where are we at this week, Andy? It is the final four. We have four tribal councils left, two matchups. And as predicted, this uh, whole entire bracket was dominated by recency bias. As long as you consider heroes and villains to be recent. And everything before that to be recent. Well, that's as late as the final four gets. So, yes. Uh, You had another feather in the cap of the uh, mighty predicting force of the internet. Uh so, yeah, uh, that post will be up probably as you're listening to this, so go ahead and have a vote. And if you kind of look at that, and you have these four. If there is one that you really, really want to win this thing, we are going to crowdsource the final post in the series. Um, once the final, uh, the, so the voting will end on Tuesday. If your favorite won its matchup, s- submit us your reason why you think it should win. And we will uh, post the best answers as the uh, final two post. Because honestly, I've run out of things to say about these uh, tribal councils. They're all great. Any of them would be good winners. But you help us decide why, one, your favorite should be the winner. So you can email us at purplerockpodcast at gmail.com. You can leave comments on the post on the website, as you uh, heard. Uh, you can DM us on Twitter with your answer. I am Purple Rock Andy. You are Purple Rock John. The show is Purple Rock Pod. Yeah, and uh if you do happen to leave it as a comment in our comment section, if yours is the one that we choose, we'll make sure to uh get back to you and say, hey, mind if we use this for our write-up? Because we like to get your approval before we do such things. But if you're emailing us, clearly you're cool with it. So that post will be up next week when we'll have the championship round. Uh Where else? They can find us on Tumblr at purplerockpodcast.tumblr.com, maybe? That's correct. And it's pretty much it. That's that's the 
some of our presence on the internet. Anything else, Andy? Hit the theme music and trust the process. Sorry, Matt. That's what it's like when a woman wants a baby.